Taking us behind the scenes this time is one of the most successful ever television entertainment producers on both sides of the Atlantic. In the UK, as ITV's head of music programming, he oversaw international spectaculars starring the world's biggest acts, including Sir Elton John, Luciano Pavarotti and Cher, while headlining, well, he wasn't headlining, he was heading up highly rated music editions of an audience with, as well as many a royal variety performance. Since moving to the US 20 years ago, he's become one of the busiest executive producers on network television's biggest blockbuster shows, such as So You Think You Can Dance, American Idol, and most recently the breakout hit Come Dance With Me. So, and okay, a little technical information now. If you hear a creaking noise in the background, it's nothing to do with the connection, but it'll be the shelves in this gentleman's office heaving under the weight of his innumerable awards, including five, yes, five personal Emmys. So I am particularly proud and thrilled to take you across to Los Angeles and say welcome to Mr. Jeff Thacker. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Colin. It's been it's been a, a long time seeing each other and working with each other, but it's uh, I don't know where that I don't know where the uh, time has gone, but it, it certainly it, it certainly has gone. I will have to correct you on one thing, which is the Emmys. We have their, their Emmy nominations. Uh, they're not our wins, but you still get a wonderful certificate from the Academy that we put on a wall. Um, but the So You Think You Can Dance show that obviously I'm EP on, we've won 17 Emmys across the board. So I'm very proud to be connected with that. But um, thank you for, for asking me because um, I, I have been listening. I've been binge listening to the podcasts um, since obviously Keith Lascelles, who you've had on for two weeks running, um, told me that he was on. And I, I, I absolutely agree with you and him. These stories are for the record, and I and I and I hope that people really enjoy listening to behind the scenes because they're the things that they don't see or hear. Um, and uh, we all like a bit of gossip. <laughs> Congratulations from me personally on your phenomenal television career. I mean, it's you're unstoppable. I mean, and that's your television career so far because you've got many a year left in you yet, sir. I'm knocking wood. <laughs> and the fact that you're sitting in Los Angeles now, it's a long way from when you auditioned as a dancer for Buggy Squires all those years ago. Uh, yes, it was many years ago. And, 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 and I started late in life. I didn't ever start. I never wanted to be a dancer. It was never in my blood. I have no family in show business at all. They're all builders, Colin, every one of them, you know, Mark Bricks and Cement, all builders. Um, but it's the same thing for me. It's just that we've got music attached to it. Um, <laughs> it's the, um, yeah, I, it, it, it actually started before I auditioned for Dougie uh, at school. I was at a normal school in Clapham and um, our, our a drama teacher there who was, um, you know, young and fresh and vibrant and hungry like in, in lunch times and after school, we would do um dance classes she was she trained classical ballet but she was really into that time she was into modern stuff and there was six of us I think six of us all and we would just dance and then we'd put it into the school plays and we loved it and and then uh somebody said to us well you come and dance at a college university so we did 
And it was just guys. It was an all boys school, but we added some girls into it. And then someone said, oh, you should you should be on TV. Well, of course, yeah, schoolboys from Clapham going in on TV. Where do you think you're going to go? Yeah. Anyway, we auditioned for Up Knox. We auditioned for Up Knox wow. with Huey Green and we performed. We came second. A singer called Katie Budd won, but we came second out of nowhere, um, choreographed by the teacher at the school. The teacher at the school went on to teach outside. Um, she, her name was Lizzie Beveridge. She became Lizzie Webb, Mad Lizzie, TVAM. She had a career outside um, and she literally became Britain's answer to the morning exercise. And we all kind of stemmed off. Even the guys in, even the guys in the group went on to do such amazing things. We had one guy went to the Royal Ballet, one guy went to National Youth Theatre. One guy went with uh, Ruby Flipper and became part of Hot Gossip. Wow! And it's just bizarre because we were all basically Clapham schoolboys. And one of the dancers who I'm still in contact with. Every time we're still in contact, we saw we saw an advert in the stage to audition for the second generation, which if for those people who don't know, um, Dougie Squires originated a group on BBC called The Young Generation, which literally pushed the careers of so many people then. And then when Dougie moved on, um, we couldn't he couldn't use the name Young Generation. So he formed the second generation. And Dougie, for me is not only my mentor, and I would not be where I am today without him at all, but he broke the barriers and the boundaries of dance on television and and set the, 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 the template for what dancers should be. Dougie had no boundaries, no barriers. He took people for who they were, not just for what they could do. And so the second generation became the group that everybody knew their name, they knew who they were, there was every shape, size, color, creed, and Dougie set the template for the rest of the dancers. He truly is, uh, in the world of dance and entertainment, a foundation of so many of us. And I put my ha- I will hold my hands up because I would not without him and his belief in me. I wasn't a good dancer, Colin. I wasn't. I was then skinny, tall, long hair. I could fit into somebody else's outfit. And um, to be honest, I could find a red light on a Christmas tree. So I, 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 it was like an inbuilt thing. Dougie took an opportunity and a chance, not a risk. He took an opportunity in the dance and allowed us to grow. And he is continually to do that. So Dougie Squires is responsible for um, where I am and many other people are today. So I, I absolutely adore it. Yeah. So um, we went for the audition. And I said to my friend, Gary, Gary, go and tell them we don't tap. We didn't. We weren't even trained. So go and tell them we don't tap. And he said, oh, we don't tap. And he goes, let me see what you can do. We flapped our feet around on the floor up in literally in the dance center in Covent Garden. For some reason, we both got the job. I I was astounded. And that was the start of our second generation career. We went we went for a 19 week summer season in Southport with Dickie Henderson Peter Goodright and Moira Anderson. It was unbelievable. We were on 32 pounds a week. We all lived in the worst digs you could possibly find. <laughs> we saved our money and we got drunk on cherry bee and cider. <laughs> but that's that's from the get-go. That's t- terrific. 
Well, because Dougie took opportunities with so many, gave us all the opportunity. We had to prove ourselves, of course. You know, we really had to prove ourselves. And it was and it was it was groundbreaking for, you know, to go on TV and to be able to do so many shows because Dougie literally was he was the doyen of a choreographer. And, you know, he was so respected and we were able to do so many TV shows with him and all over the world. I mean, I was 21 and went to Hong Kong for a year for Dougie. We lived in Hong Kong for a year and we are still the group. That group is still in touch. There's group chats. We meet together. You know, we're all a lot older now. Um, but we are, you know, he he set he set in motion a bond and a family. And we're still in touch with Dougie. I see him every time I come over, every single time. But, you know, to be able to do what um, he gave us to do and the opportunity, because we had to have an equity card then, don't forget. So many weeks to get your equity card. And so you, we would do cabarets in nightclubs down in Windsor and and you know to be able to dance for so many so many people it was wonderful and 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 the start of my tv career it was Dougie that allowed me allowed us to go on to tv mm. you know we danced on a generation game and then I ended up choreographing it years mm. later yeah. we danced on Miss World seen by billions of people um and we it was given we danced in Germany we did live tv I mean live 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 show expresses and you know dance with people like abba and i mean it was it was a glorious glorious wonderful time so that was the start of my dance career to be honest mm. and yours and, and your dance colleagues were some of the famous faces on television at that time because you were never off the screen in entertainment shows were you no and i mean you know it, it would be and even when i started to dance with the group and some of the guys from the young generation had come up to the second generation and were dancing with them. And I knew them. I thought, you know, Weiwei and Roger and Bobby and, and, and you know, and, and it's it's wonderful. It was wonderful to be part of that. Um, and it, it, it really was a, a one, you know, we always had our name down our sleeve or on our front, on our back, on our shoes. It was, it was branding and what a clever idea. And, you know, it's all Dougie, all yeah. Dougie. Dougie allowed us to be who we were, not yes. just all. Yeah, and also in, from my limited experience of Mr. Squires and his company, he is the sweetest and nicest of men, I've found. He is one of those people that you just, you, you, he's like a magnet. You just literally, you're drawn to him in the neck, you want to hug him, and he hugs you back. And also, he's a fabulous cook. So <laughs> you, uh, he, if he'd come and visit you, you always let him go into the kitchen and cook. Um, and, you know, he, and he himself has uh, such an illustrious career. Oh mm. my gosh, what yeah. that man has not done. Um, yeah. So you know, I was very fortunate and, and, and looking back and I was, I think I was like eight years. I was with eight Dougie for eight years. Um, and then I made the transition to, uh, from uh, dancer to choreographer. And I remember one of the very last jobs I ever did live jobs. We were, we'd go to Palm Beach in Cannes three months of the year. We would close the film festival. And we had our own show that we would do for three months. We would do two shows. We'd rehearse in the nighttime. We'd finish the show at midnight. We'd have an hour's break. We'd rehearse from one in the morning till six. And of course, it was too hot. Mm -hmm. And it was like we were millionaires, Colin. Mm -hmm. Palm Beach, mm -hmm. Can, the home of millionaires. Yes. How wonderful. Um, and then um, I said to Dougie that um, I feel it's time for me to move on. He never stopped, never 
he was always, if, if there's anything I can do, let me know and ask. It was, it was, it was a sad time, but mm. I felt that it was the right time. And I don't know why. Mm. I, I just felt that it was time for me to move, to move on. But was it a bit of a leap of faith, really, wasn't it? Because there you are, an established dancer, working all the hours, never not in a show, uh, to make that break, to think, okay, I'm going to try and choreograph stuff myself. Yeah, and I didn't, know, I didn't know whether I could even, I don't know if I, I could even choreograph. I felt I could, and I found it looking back <laughs> over the years. Well, no, I felt that most dancers think they can choreograph and they have one idea, and that's not what choreography is. Choreography is about being able to... Um, create and and given the opportunity but I, I i finished contractually and you know uh finishing stuff with dougie and um i then i i, I thought okay i'm going to choreography so by that time i got to work as a dancer with so many producers and directors mainly at the bbc some on itv so i thought i would just reach out to them and just say i'm a choreographer now and to be honest when I gave up dancing, I didn't work for six months because I had no, I had no, I didn't have a record as a choreographer. Yeah. And I remember going to the BBC and I did a cameras training film for cameramen yeah. and they wanted dancers. And I put together some of the dancers that I danced with and did two routines that I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, I didn't know I could do it, but wait, they, I didn't pay them. They did it as a, as a and that, I had one, I had, that was the only piece of footage that I had. Um, I still couldn't get any work from it because there were so many wonderful choreographers around that were still in work. I mean, amazing choreographers, you know, apart from Dougie, you know, Jeff Richard, Brian Rogers, Alan Harding, Arlene Phillips, but a, 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 a ton of choreographers. And I was very fortunate, and I say for, it's, it's not lucky, um, but I think it's fortunate that. Um, a producer that um, has been mentioned on the show before, John Bishop, was doing a little and large special. Mm. And there wasn't one choreographer that was available for the dates, none. And I knew John, I knew him and I'd worked with him. And I said, I choreograph. And he gave me the opportunity to come and do a little and large special. I'd never worked with them before. Um, I'd met them, but I'd never worked with them. Mm. And um, I... He was given, and I had to do like five numbers. Oh, five, five. numbers, closing number, closing number, a number with Dana. I mean, it was, it was a shaking in my boots. And the doyen of the BBC music at that time was Ronnie Hazelhurst. And I would say to Ronnie, I, I'm, I want to do this routine. And, and Ronnie would say, well, give, me, give me the tempo. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I just remember that the tempo was three times faster than it should have been. I look at that. I look back now, Colin, and I, I had sixteen dancers or something. I was and and that was the start. That was the start, really, that John Bishop gave me the opportunity to do it. But again, like you know, everybody is given the opportunity to take. You've got to prove your worth. Yeah, you've got to. You, so, yes, it's it's not luck. I think you're you're granted the opportunity, aren't you, Jeff? But you've got to deliver. Yeah, luck to me is when you walk outside and you find a lottery ticket. That's yeah. luck. But I think given an opportunity is is where you have to you have to prove your worth. And um, I got on so well with Sid and Eddie, two of delightful men, oh. two delightful men. Um, and then they were given a series, and they asked me back, 
to choreograph the series. And I did seven years with them. Um, and with just with dancers and, and being able to, again, to work with so many different producers and stuff. And when you're at the BBC or, or at ITV, when you're around the rehearsal rooms and North Acton rehearsal rooms was a hive of energy. I mean, just a hive of energy. Mm. And so therefore, um, uh, when I was doing Little and Large um, and uh, Bill Wilson, who was a producer at the BBC, they just signed Kenny Everett. And um, he said, would you do me a favor? We're not going to bring hot gossip over because that's like an ITV. We want a different thing, but we do want some dancers to come in because Kenny writes jingles. He does jingles and he wants, and they said, would you, would you hold the audition for us to choose girls? I said, sure. You know, I'll just come in and I'll, I'll do something. Um, and so uh, I did that. I think it was a lunchtime. I went in down in North Acton. We were on the first floor where the dance studios were. And there was a gazillion girls, gazillion girls. And they were all auditioning for Kenny. And he'd given me two, two jingles. If you remember, Kenny did all the vocals, all the music. I mean, the man was a genius. A, 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 you know, he literally was, he, he was beyond his time. He was yeah. far before his time. Anyway, I did this jingle. And um, they said to me, who would you choose out of these? And I said, well, I, she's good. She's good. She's good. They were all about that one. And I said, well, you know, I don't know, but this is who I would, I would see. They filmed it. I left. That was it. They thanked me. Mm. And they played the tape to Kenny. And Kenny liked what I did and asked me to come back and do a special. Um, and I did every series of Kenny Everett show at the BBC. And I adored the man, adored him. And he loved dancing. We would go, we would, we would be such bizarre, bizarre, different types of routines. He <laughs> wanted to do everything, you know. I mean, we had the most bizarre songs. He would come up with these, you know, where did Robinson Crusoe go with Friday on a Saturday night? That's a true song. <laughs> and we would have Kenny Lynch and him dancing with all of it. You know, uh, oh my goodness. You know, it was, and money was no object. So the budgets, sets were wonderful. Um, and he was... I adored working with him. I absolutely adored working with his spontaneity, his intellect, and he let me do what I what I could do. Mm. Because for choreographers, normally you are given like a script or a piece of music, and then you you're told what to do. But he just let me have the freedom in you know sets and outfits and costumes. I mean, it literally was Aladdin's cave that you could do what you want. Yeah. Um, and that was the beauty of the BBC, wasn't it? Because once you were through the doors, you would bump into people who would say, oh, Jeff, can you do me this? Well, again, uh, it, it's uh, somebody said to me, oh, I'm doing, um, John Hobbs was his name. And he said, I'm doing this pilot. It's called A Last Smith and Jones. I'd never, it was Griffith mm -hmm. Jones and Mel Smith. Mm -hmm. And we did a pilot and it, the sketch was about somebody that couldn't turn up. A singer couldn't turn up when we'd learned the routine. So they were going to do it with a tape recorder. And that was the sketch. We did this whole dance routine with them lifting this tape recorder and, yeah. and you know. Um, and when I did that, I then got asked to do Rory Bremner. It was called Something for the Weekend. And then I started to work with Rory Bremner. I'd never heard of Rory. I mean, again, what an amazing talent that was. And then, and then I started to get into that, the, the, like your world, the sketch comedy, the, the, the writer's world. And, you know, working, doing with that, and, and doing 
creating dance routines around comedy sketches. I mean, we got into trouble a couple of times. I know we won, we won the press prize in Montreux because it was, we were taking off the Royal family. We really were. It was the Royal family doing Eurovision. Talk about uh, <laughs> topical now. It was literally everybody playing every member of the Royal family and my dancers were in and we were, it was quite blasphemous if I'm honest, but they won, <laughs> we won, we won that, um, the, the press prize. And then, yeah, I started to get into like scripted comedy and doing bits on on written, you know, scripted scripted stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, how did you find working with comedians? You'd you'd spent much that part of your career entirely with dancers. Now suddenly you're working with comedy performers. Was it a big transition in order to accommodate what they were up to, or did you fall into that naturally? Um. A bit of both, to be honest. I needed to know what their idea and concept was. Because don't forget, with comedians, they like you. You you will write for a comedian, so the idea and concept will come from you, and the comedian will work uh, around that. So again, we I would certainly work with the writers, and I was given the opportunity to come up with ideas and suggestions. So it was a little bit of both, um, and uh, it was. It, that to me, it was a different world. It mm. wasn't just shiny floor stuff and sparkles and sequins. There's a lot of that, but it was uh, certainly very much working with a, a media that I found fascinating and very different. Mm. And you know, and and I again starting to work on on um, with with that with that type of um, program. Mm. That then it, it started to sort of drift out. And I having worked with people like Michael Hurl, who again was one of the most amazing producers and 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 directors and Stuart Morris, Jim Moyer, all of those. I then got asked how they were putting together um, Noel's show when Noel first started, you know, mm. when Michael did uh, the first Noel series and then we did um, the road show and then Saturday we did House Party. And, you know, then I got involved with all the blobby stuff and the gotchas and, and I people send me links now of YouTube links. And I think to myself, oh my good, because then I started to be in it. They wanted me to be part of the whole scenario. And you think, you know, there's me telling Willie Carson how to ride a horse <laughs> or uh, telling Wayne Sleep that he should be doing the, the a duet. I mean, it's one of those crazy things. And Noel then, Noel wanted to dance. I mean, I put Noel through his paces. He was a showgirl in one. Um, and he sent me this wonderful note once that he, he, he from Crinkly Bottom on Crinkly Bottom paper saying that um, I gave him his first opportunity to be Twinkle Toes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it was I enjoyed doing all the Noel stuff as well. I mean, and, and it's so funny who you meet there, Colin, for example. I remember flying down to do. Do you remember when he used to snap the, his fingers and go mm. live to somebody's house? And we would have. 16 showgirls in the in, in, in the garden dancing because that's and threw him in and stuff like that. We were flying down somewhere mm. and we we're in this little little plane and there was turbulence. And one of the APs, one of the associate producers, was sick and was lying on the floor, and we were laughing. And and he was like on the show. And um we did the show. Now the point of that story was I suddenly look up, there is an, an amazing show on TV now called Succession. Mm. Ryan Cox Succession. Yeah. The director is a guy called Mark Mylod, who was that associate producer on Knowles. I was so pleased and proud to see his name come up. 
because the last time I worked with him, we were on Noel and he's throwing up and we, you know. <laughs> Um, so therefore, it's wonderful to see other people sort of move. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. So that's what I was kind of doing at the BBC, and everything kind of it was just leading on. And 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 you know, I know I'm rambling on, but you, and and you can stop and ask. But like going on to once that started to work, um, we were we were doing um, you know just just bits and pieces, and then I was asked to do they Stanley Baxter was going to do a big TV special and he just moved over from ITV and it was Stanley Baxter's Christmas Stanley Baxter's Christmas hamper and I was asked to do it and David Bell who was at ITV at the time of London Weekend Television he called he wanted to meet me and I thought oh my god you know I'd heard of him and 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 I did a terrible show called Fancy Wonders back on that but he couldn't and he wanted to meet me and he said dear remember Stanley is a star and he just needs to be treated like a star I thought okay I met Stanley Baxter at his apartment his flat gave me a cup of tea and two shortbread biscuits two (laughs) out of the ten and he had this idea that he wanted to recreate it was a Christmas thing whereby how would if somebody gave the worst Christmas presents, toilet paper, a loo brush, um, foam bath? How would we dress it up for Christmas? That was the concept. Mm. And he wanted to recreate a famous movie, Cover Girl, where she runs down this ramp like this. The money was no object. Um, and um, he came to rehearsals and I had the dancers and we did everything and we put it in. And he had a wonderful, wonderful standing guy called John Thornton, who sadly is no longer with us. But what a delight. He was his standing like for tricks or anything like this. So I said uh, we had a big flip where Stanley would dive into the boy's arms and then we would rotate him like a literally throw him over. So I said, what we'll do is Stanley dive into the arms, stop, get you out. We'll do the whole thing on a wide shot and put John in. Mm. Okay. And he, he, he was diving in and I thought, mm, I don't know if this is going to cut well enough. So I didn't say anything to Stanley. I said to the boys, guys, when Stanley's in and you got him, flip him over. Just flip, and, but hold on to his hip so he, he doesn't do it. I didn't say anything to Stanley. I said to Stanley, just we're going to carry on. Blah, blah, blah. And Stanley was like, he Dove into their arms. They caught him. They flipped him over. He stood up with such a shock on his face. <laughs> if you look at that on YouTube, that's the take. And he thanks me. He thanked me afterwards. Um, and he, that's the one they used. And David Bell was in the audience and he came and he said, dear, <laughs> you made him shine like a star he is. And I will always be grateful. And I've kept in contact with Stanley over the years, every year. Except for the past few years, but every year I get a Christmas card, um, yeah. and um, it, it it was it was it was you know. And it's a bit that but to, to mention you mentioned David Bell just to continue that thought for a moment. That was David though, because although he was a London Weekend head of entertainment at that time and had worked with Stanley so consistently for many years he still wanted to keep an eye on stanley from the audience and gave you that advice and that's that's the mark of a, a true executive as well isn't it oh he adored him he adored him yeah. and so did i 
I absolutely adored him. I had this wonderful picture of he and I. He's dressed as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. I, I, we did that for that season. We, and we, we, he redid because he played every character. Mm. So, and I had my dancers in as like the back of heads. But I, I absolutely adored him, and I've kept all the letters he's ever sent me, um, and um, it, it, and and that kind of worked there. Um, and then there was a wonderful producer called Peter Estel. Mm. He took over at Wogan. It was Francis Whitaker first, and Peter Essel loved anything to do with musicals. Yeah, uh, loved it, and he wanted to bring these things in um, to uh, into Wogan. Mm. And I had met Terry on numerous occasions because I I, I, I had I want I, as my career started to grow, I wanted somebody that was going to look after me. And I went to a new manager. I didn't have an agent, and the man and I actually Everett said to me, "Oh, you should go, darling. You should go to my agent. She's wonderful. I've been with her since day one." And I said, "Okay, who is that?" And her name was Joe Gannett, and she oh, looked up. Yeah. She looked after every radio presenter, TV. And I went to see Joe and I said, Joe, I've been uh, oh, shit, I don't know anything about choreography or choreography. I don't even know what they do. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I know all about what choreographers do, but I know you know how to look after somebody and we can do this together. And let's let's give it a few months. And if it doesn't work out. Um, and before I came here, I was with her for 26 years and I'm still in contact. With her. Anyway, that's a by and by. Uh, and but Wogan was with her. Mm. And I did nearly eight years on Wogan and the I did everything from staging and choreographing Terry as a pirate we did Halloween <laughs> shows we did Terry coming back from America we I, I, every every musical show that was on in the West End I went to their show and restaged it for the Wogan Theatre as you know we were at BBC Shepherd's Bush yeah. so it had to be rearranged so I got to work with so many musical people you know in theatre and I was, I never, when I was at work, and Terry was a delight because he was, he loved Doily Card, Gilbert and Sullivan. I mean, you know, and he'd always burst into song off camera and stuff like that. Yeah. But he absolutely, uh, he was a dream, a dream to work with. And not only, you know, I did 10 years of Children in Need yeah. with him as well when he did it. But I, I occasionally I was starstruck. I never asked for autographs. I, I really didn't. But on a few occasions, I thought, I cannot take this opportunity and not ask. Mm. One was Jimmy Stewart. Wow. And I took my book in. I knew he was going to be on the show. And he signed the book for me. And then one was Bette Davis, Betty Davis. And I, at the end of the she was promoting her book. And at the end of it, she, she, she'd had a stroke, unfortunately. So she stood up in the show. She thanked the audience. And she said to Terry, do you want me to sign your book? We're off air. We're off. And so he said, sure. And so there, suddenly there was a queue. So I, I lined up and all I had was the script. Hmm. And so I, I came in and I said, Miss Davis, would you please sign this? And she said, sure. Who is it to? And I said, it's to Jeff with a J. She said, what? I said, Jeff with a J and she wrote best wishes to Jay. Cause that's what she heard. Oh. Betty Davis. So it is me, but mm. it's her version of me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think those were, and Dirt Bogart, I think, but apart from that, I mean, to sit in that green room with people, yeah. <gasps> Colin, it, 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 it's, it's just amazing. Just yeah. amazing. It's interesting. You say starstruck because, when you're in someone's company like that, 
you do think, gosh, that's Betty Davis, don't you? That, that's really her. It's a, an amazing feeling because most of those, all of those stars, they exude a charisma, don't they? They have a presence about them without mm. question. Um, and, and, the, and the bigger the star, the more, the, the humbler I found them. That's just my opinion. Those that feel they had a voice to scream and shout literally had something to prove. Yeah. And it was an, it's, it, it, it's, it's like Terry, he didn't have it to, you know, to prove anything. Yeah. And on, you know, um, and then, you know, I just had, I just had a, a wonderful, wonderful, you know, time at the BBC. I, 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 as I said to you earlier, having danced on the Generation Game, I was then asked if I would go and choreograph and stage the Generation Game when they brought Bruce back. I danced on it with Larry Grayson when we mm. did Larry Isla, and we were as the second generation. Then I went back and I did a one-off, and um, I got to meet and work hand in hand. With Sir Bruce Forsyth, yeah, who was, you know, absolute. I, I adored working with the man as well. Yeah, um, I know people have said, "Oh, you know, he's grumpy and he's moany," and I found him professional because mm. any true performer, in order for things to work for them, have to have everything right. Otherwise, it's not going to work. A magician can't do a trick unless it's absolutely in place. So I, I, I mean, I had it was just, it was fun going to work. It and was also, fun going to work. Yeah, but but also with someone like Sir Bruce, goodness me, you know, a consummate professional. But if he trusted you, then that was perfect because he could relax. And um, I guess at that time, Generation Game in that incarnation with Bruce was produced by David Taylor. David Taylor produced it um, every season, um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, and and Bruce felt, you know, one for another. And there was Wally and Gary mm. who used to write everything. And Bruce used to tear into them. And, you know, they would, <laughs> if he was running anything through, they sat in the dark corner, just so out of his eye line. Yes. But uh, I, the, the great thing for me, and, and again, this is a very, this is a very sensitive position to be in. During all the dry blocks and rehearsals, camera rehearsals, I played Bruce. So he sat and watched me do the mechanics of the game, every game, not just the ones I choreographed, like the can-can, we're in the money. I played every game and he sat and watched me. So sometimes things happen. And if you're funny, you have to be careful you don't overstep the mark. But over the years that I worked with him, I felt that I could just go to the boundary. And he would say to me sometimes, I'm going to use that. Do you mind? I said, I said, listen, Bruce, you have to understand when I'm on that stage, I hear you in my head. So to me, it's not me, it's you. And I absolutely adored him. He he asked me to stage his 60th birthday. When we both moved to I, ITV, I did his whole Sunday night at the London Palladiums with him. Mm. Every day I produced that. Um, so at the Gen game, it was wonderful. And I, and I played every single game. I did the conveyor belt and, you know, and at the end of at the end of the season, I put together this end of term tape of all the things that went wrong, all the outtakes, all the rehearsals, and we absolutely adored him. And Winnie, his wife, is so so wonderful. And I'd known these kids, Laura. I, I, I she was she was like a presenter when I was dancing. Debbie, who was in Guys and Dolls, who we used to dance with. So 
it was it was a wonderful wonderful connection um uh, i mean i can't it, yeah and it, it it kind of spread colin yeah but th- what i would suggest jeff is that once you join a production you're in for the long haul you stick with it because they want you with them all the time you you don't do one season and then fly off once you're um, once you once you've got your feet under the under the desk you're there for the long I have done some shows. I have done some one-offs where I don't feel I've been right for it, mm. or maybe they are not right for me. Um, and and um, it's it hasn't been very often, but it, it has happened. And um, and I think basically is that I I would say I was not right for them. It, I I was not the the right person. And you're absolutely right. Productions, including my teams. You know, you have a shorthand and you work around and you, and you use them, you know, mm. you use them all the time. Um, and 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 that's what you that that's what you that's what you do. Um, and so at the BBC, I found myself being jumping from production to production to production to production. And I was learning so much. Stuart Morris, mm. again, sadly, no longer is, but he was head of entertainment at the BBC Um and I remember him saying to me once, um, bellowing, let's just say. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, he said, he said to me, and I wasn't, I never even thought about producing. This is when I was dancing and choreographing. Um, and he said to me, a good producer is not about making good programs. It's knowing what to do when the program is not going the way you need it or want it to be. That's a good producer. And I, that stuck with me. That stuck with me. And um, it's absolutely true because on live TV, you you know you need so. And I was brought up on live TV, so um, it was it, it it was wonderful. And you know to be able to do all those and you know. So, so at that time, really, you were learning from the very best. If 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 not directly with from their with their advice, you were learning by osmosis by watching how they operated. One hundred percent. I think that I, I'm sure I was a bane in people's butts about asking questions, but I had, I had so many, I was very fortunate to work with so many amazing team members, Mm. camera crew, Roger Fenner would teach me and say to me, Hey, if you've got that person there, I can get that. Costume designer, Linda Martin, who created such amazing, amazing outfits and told me how and why it should be cut this way. And so therefore, I think that what one does, if one is, I would consider to be on the learning side, if you have open eyes, open ears, open mind, you're going to learn and want to learn. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure, ask a question. So I absolutely, from the moment Dougie took me on, from the moment stepped into a TV studio, and I, it was, again, it was worth, it was amazing. Mm. And we worked on some shows and and, and it, it's, it's, I, I, it's like you do it. I'm sure when you work for somebody and you write for them, you get to in tune with them and you get to know what they think is possibly funny and what's not. And you spark off each other like two pieces of flint. Yes, that's um, true. Also, Jeff, I, I, I would contend as well that sometimes you find yourself in a, on a show and you think this ain't working. I'm not clicking with this performer. And they're they're not clicking with me, and so that's when you walk away. It's interesting, isn't it? Some Very. some you've got a chemistry with, and some you haven't. I remember dancing, going back to dancing. I remember dancing for Jeff Richer, who I thought was an amazing choreographer, amazing choreographer. And he, uh, we did the two Ronnies, and it was in a beer garden. Um, 
And I remember always, I did the opening line was Wunderbar Bavaria in the open area. That's how it started, right? Mm. Two runs. Ronnie B questioned every, Marcus Morton was the director, questioned everything, wanted to know everything. But he wrote, as Gerald Wiley, he wrote a ton of stuff. Mm. Um, and Terry Hughes, when I was dancing, Terry Hughes went over to do, came over here to do Golden Girls, yeah. and which I'll kick back to that in a moment. But um, I was then asked to choreograph it. Marcus Mortimer, who I'd worked with on uh, things like Alexis Sale and and so many other BBC, he asked me to come and choreograph the two runs. I was scared because I'd seen what they did. I went and met them both, went and met them both. And Ronnie B would ask me, Every question, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing this? How come we can do this? And I would say this, this, this. And like we did Alice in Wonderland. And I said, can we have, instead of having three mirrors, mirrors, can we have eight mirrors? And um, don't make it, uh, 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 why is that? I said, it just, the impact is far greater than we had eight mirrors. Um, and... <laughs> I've had this said of me, so this is this is something against myself. When when they said, "Oh, the tr- problem with you is you don't suffer falls gladly," and I said, "That's very unkind and very untrue. I don't suffer falls at all, gladly or <laughs> not. I don't." And I felt that therefore, if I had an answer, if I had an answer for Ron's, and he asked me, they asked me back right the way through, and then when Ronnie when Ronnie C did his own show. He asked me to come and stage him. And that was how, again, just going back again, that's how the things, that's how the things connected. Um, and forgive me, I, and shut me up because I know I'll ramble on, but um, the uh, when I was back in the early 80s, I was asked if I would go and help out a photographer, a fashion photographer, to do a commercial. Hmm. And I thought, what and they said, oh, he he wants to use a dancer because they want to be the way they hold themselves, and you know. And I said, oh, sure, I'll go and do it. So I went to the studio, and I didn't realize it was me that was going to be in a vision. I thought I was going to be telling a dancer, mm-hmm. but it was me, and I had to put on an ice skate, a hockey boot, football shorts, rugby shirt, a stick, and a crash helmet, and hold these dancers positions like shoulders down anything else mm. and then he said to me oh could you i'll now do it with a girl so i was telling her what to do left i then got a call hey i'm doing this commercial for Civit, this orange drink mm-hmm. would you come and do it sure um i went in i choreographed it there were 20 dancers in Oranges that you just saw their feet hanging out. They were literally <laughs> and 20 lemons on a chest board. That photographer and that director was a guy called Terence Donovan. No. He was, I worked with him on and off for 18 years. He sadly passed away. He is, I've been so fortunate to be able to work with so many wonderful people. He was unbelievable. I did every commercial print shoot everything else uh, that he did and one day he said to me i'm doing a music video do you want to come and do it and i said what is it he goes oh it's 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 no dancers just models he said and the problem with these models is they can't bleeping dance 
He said they can't bleeping put one foot in front of the other. They can't bleeping do. They've got nothing between their ears except for a wonderful face. That's what Terence's words, not me. <laughs> so I went and I listened to the track. And he's true. That it's not that it was very difficult, literally just to. And I thought, okay, I need to be simple here. Need to be effective. I saw what the look was, how the hair costume. Okay. The singer was Robert Palmer. Oh yes. Don was addicted to love. Um, it for whatever reason it be it actually it, it, it I think it got I think he won the award for best best video of the decade for that. But from that, I did simply irresistible and didn't mean to turn you on. I did all the Robert Palmers. Similar theme, but now we added dancers a lot. And I remember one of them, we were doing Simply Irresistible. We had two dancers against a black PVC background. And we were spraying them with water and the water was cold. So we put the water up and it went to boiling hot. And my dancers didn't say a word. In the take, you, oh. you, I can see them take their breath, but it was boiling hot. And that was it. I I, I did some amazing stuff with Terrence and we, we did this. Then Pepsi bought Simply Irresistible. And did a commercial. We did the com- it is shown globally except for the UK. Mm. It's the only place it was never shown. Gee. And so I had the pleasure to work with him. And if I may tell you one behind the scenes story, he said to me at the end of he said to me at the end of um, a, a photo shoot with a model. He goes, he goes, do me a favor. Could you sit down? He said, I, I just want to I want to take your picture. And I said, No, Terence. No, I listen. I've just been rehearsing. Look at me. I'm scruffy. I'm sweaty. He goes. It's not bleeping you. I'm just doing a, I'm just doing a lighting test with a bleeping background. He said, if, and I said, okay, well, I, all right. I said, but can you, I, I, I'd like a copy of it. He goes, if you want a photograph, here's five pounds. Go up to Bond Street Tube and go into the photo booth for the passport office. Anyway, <laughs> sat down, sat down, and he just snapped away at these, at these things. About two weeks later, I got a call from Jill in his office and said, Terence said, if you want to, he's got you a picture. If you want it, go to the office, go to the studio. Okay. So I went to the studio and Terence opened the door. The studio was on the right-hand side. And there was a staircase that went straight up to where that little kitchen on the table was. Buzzed in, I go up. And as I'm going up the stairs, I shout at the top of my voice, if those photos are absolutely terrible, I'm going to say that you are the worst bleeping photographer around don't sit me down and as i'm going up now the floor is coming into focus there is terence sitting at the table with a guy on the on the left and a lady on the right in a white shirt and a pair of jeans sitting there and it was the princess of wales oh jesus (laughs) that was my thought exactly (laughs) i looked and he looked at me as if to say see what i mean (laughs) i went up and he, he, he <laughs> I went in, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I don't think I said anything. And the Princess of Wales turned around and said, um, where, uh, where, where are the photos? And Terence said, oh, they're over there. She said, may I see? I, and this is like, this whole world is like going round. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. You know, this is. And she, he, picked up, he picked up these photos and he looked. And she looked at the thing and she looked at me and she said, well, she said, if mine turn out anything like this, I'll be over the moon. Ah, wow. It was the official portrait for her going to Rome. I have, he sent me the picture of me 
with a background and a picture of her with the same background. I have a, I do have a copy here and I have a copy back in the UK. Wow. Um, that was a, that was like a, a one-off and he, and <laughs> I got him to sign it by the way, the one I got, but that was, um, he was, he was amazing. That's how I got into music videos. So I did, I did, I did a lot. I did Rod Stewart and, yeah. and yeah. that was a time, you know, it's the discipline of doing a pop a pop video, a music video, different to the discipline of working uh, a, a music number in, in a television studio. Totally. I mean, in a TV studio, you would, if it was anything like the big Stanley Baxters or we would do the Kennys where we had done, we would spend a whole day doing the routine, spend the whole day. We'd rehearse it with Terence. I would rehearse in the morning with the dancers. He wouldn't shoot any, he wouldn't shoot until after 12 o'clock when he said, what well, his face is dropped. Mm-hmm. And then there was no, we never did night shoots or work through. He wouldn't do that. So totally, totally different. That was with Terence. I don't know what it's like working with other directors. Sure. Um, but he, I remember once <laughs> I, um, and he was, a, he was like a double Dan black judo belt guy. And I choreographed his judo team at the Royal Albert Hall to music. I mean, that's, and, 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 it, and, it, and I was buying my first house. I ran a house then and, and, you know, he used to say to me, oh, what, what are you looking for this week? I said, actually, I, I, I've got to have a chimney. I need a new chimney. He goes, how much is that then? I said, all right. And he goes, yeah, it is. Mm. He said, well, I've got to go now. I've got to go to BBC. I'll take you in. He took me in. He had a maroon Rolls Royce Corniche convertible. And Terence was like 28 stone, big man, big, big man. And I, and I remember him driving up to the gate. And you know what it was like to get into the BBC. You couldn't get into the BBC if you owned it. Those guys at the gate, if you could park in the horseshoe, you had made it at the BBC. Otherwise, you had to go to multi-story or opposite. The t- anyway, he drove up. Name. Blah, blah, blah. So um, he, said, uh, he said, I'm dropping off. He goes, uh, and he, they, we went up around the horseshoe and everybody's like, looking. I'm getting out. I, I'd make it. <laughs> I dig- I digress, but those those are like in 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 people's careers. I think it's wonderful to be able to 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 adapt and 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 take it. It's a it's a challenge sometimes. It is yeah. a challenge, and uh, it it's incredibly rewarding. And I think what has made my job easier is that I have been surrounded by talented people. To cast talent is is wonderful and i take my hat off to every producer director camera crew costume you name any part that's on a production that makes one's job easier and on the other way around we're all part of that big puzzle we're all part of that big picture we all wear the color to it mm. um and it, it and and that's what that i mean i don't want to keep going on about you know tv shows and and, and stuff like that but um i remember uh I was choreographing. Um, I was I was doing. Um, I think it was little and large, and um, I had one of again one of the most favourite men I worked with came on and and did a, um, a piece. Bernie Clifton. Now Bernie Clifton's famous for the ostrich. Yeah. Night nightmare ostrich, but Bernie, and I had worked with Bernie. She's just coming into my head now. So back in nineteen seventy nine. I'm still dancing. Bernie had an idea. He was asked to do the Royal Command performance. And he said to me, I have an idea. Would you work on me with it? 
So I said, what is it? So he said, I'm going to come on and do the act with the ostrich. And he said, and then I'm going to, the ostrich is going to lurch off. I'm going to run into the wings. He said, and then the ostrich is going to come back on by himself and do a tap dance. So I said, how's that? He said, I'm, I'm, I've got a second ostrich I'm having built. So he did the act. He, there was a big crash off stage. The ostrich ran on, came on, turned around, bowed the head, did this cold tap dance. That Bernie came on, dragged the I was the ostrich that came on Gosh. underneath. Wow. The neck broke. So the neck just swung around like it was a loose. <laughs> I had to swing it backwards and forwards to make something of it. It's on YouTube, and I never admit to that, but as we're now talking about it. And Bernie and I, we went to Monte Carlo to do a show called The Monte Carlo Show with Patrick Wayne. With it, it, and Bernie did his act. I did the same thing. They wanted the same thing there. So it's that's where your career can sometimes go. Colin. <laughs> yes, you can end up playing Bernie's Ostrich. Um, you mentioned the Royal Variety, and that'll I want to come to that in a moment. But first of all, let me get you from the BBC. You moved to London Weekend. You've been at the B- part of the fabric of the BBC at the Television Centre in North Acton, but suddenly then you think, okay, I can get well, a shift to LWT. Why was that? There was a transition a little bit before, forgive me, before LWT, and i tell you what it was, was that, um, again, John Bishop, who became head of entertainment at Carlton TV at the time, that franchise Carlton TV, and he was over there, and he um, asked me if I would come over and produce Talking Telephone Numbers. And Talking Telephone Numbers was a show that was with Philip Schofield and Emma Forbes, who... Mm. Uh, was hosting I didn't do the first season but I did some season two and John wanted to rearrange and get an idea and he asked me to go to Carlton which I did so I went to Carlton and um, I did that for three seasons and Colin I will tell you Mondays was the day we call ourselves the three musketeers I'm still in contact with Emma I I spoke to her this week Um, we it was such fun and by having fun, the show had, had it was fun. So John asked me to stay at Carlton to be uh, a, a, an associate producer and producer. He then asked me to do the Prince's Trust 21st Gala up in Manchester. Uh, and it was like I'd done the children's Royal Variety, choreographing it. I'd performed in the Royal Varieties. But this was now like working hands on for the first time. And uh i said i said i i have this idea in my head for the opening I, and and i said um i i want to reflect that we're at manchester but i want to spread it around because the prince's trust was was, was spread around mm. and he said what is it and i said this is the idea that i want to bring on i want to bring on uh, 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 the 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 fire brigade the girl guides the manchester cheerleaders team in the manchester the manchester um the gymnastic team, the, this guy had just joined Cirque that was in, from Manchester. And I said, and I wanted to open it with Julian Clary singing, on Monday, I go out with a soldier. On Tuesday, I go out with a tar. I said, and Julian, and I think at that time there was a there was a, a hiatus because of Julian's previous TV um, uh, appearances that... Mm-hmm. Whether it was a faux pas or not, I think that it was Julian has always pushed boundaries. And you, and you know, with comedy, you can push a bit. And that, you just remind me of a thing which I will go back to. Forgive me, I'll go back to it. But 
And so I, he, and he goes, oh, do you think so? I said, listen, it's the Prince of Wales. You've got Stephen Fry. You've got, let's go there. Let's just go. Julian is, is a bright man. So I met Julian and he absolutely loved the idea. And I said, I want to dress you up as a hussar. And we did, I had 128 people on stage, including the Prince of Wales Gurkha Regiment, who is, and we literally, and at the end of it, I remember Julian saying, well, all we need now is the red arrows to drop in. And I had eight red arrows coming in on thing. So I did that. And that was my first real big gala yeah. that I, I had control of. And I got Jennifer Aniston to fly in. Um, uh, and funny, again, forgive me, because my brain goes, Colin, tell me to shut up, right? We had the Man we had the Manchester, we had the Manchester football team, and they had just won. They had just won the trophy. I'm not a footballer, whatever it was, but it was a big cup, and we got special permission to bring it on stage. And of course, they went crazy. The Manchester team went absolutely crazy. All the team came on. They all and Liz Dawn, who I'd worked with, I did Liz Dawn's house party with her and Lily Savage. Um, and I adored her too. Oh, what a woman. what a lovely lady. Anyway, Manchester team went off. I go backstage. I'm going underneath the stage to cue because I'm a hands-on producer, not in the control room. And I see this guy sitting on the stairs. And I thought, hmm. I said, can I help you? Going, he goes, he goes, oh, I'm with the Manchester football team. I thought, well, one, you haven't got a Manchester accent. And two, they've left the building. I went, oh. I said, what? Well, no, he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm going to leave in a minute. And I thought, hmm. So I went upstairs. I called security. And I said, there's a guy on the stairs that says he's with the Manchester team. I know they've left because they've been, we couldn't hold them. There's no room. The Prince of Wales upstairs. Anyway, the security goes down. It was David Beckham. He was sitting looking at the Spice Girls because at that time they just started dating Victoria Beckham. I've never seen him since. I've never met him since, but there's this little guy, he had glasses on and long hair and he had a Cockney accent. Wow. So, you know, who was I to know? Oh, anyway, that is a beautiful story. Anyway, um, uh, that was that, and, and we, as I say, we had Jennifer Aniston. Then John K. Cooper, um, who, again, I just absolutely adored this man and what he did, asked me if I would come over and do some bits at LWT that he was working on. Um, he And a, a mutual friend of ours, who you know, Nigel Lifko, was also producing over there. And he had a very similar career to me. He's older than me. You are, Nigel. You are. <laughs> Uh, he's older than me um, and and more successful than me, which is wonderful. But he, too, was a dancer, choreographer, director, producer. I never directed too much paperwork. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, and he was there. And so I, again, working with some amazing people, Jackie Tyler, who, again, still in contact with. Um, and uh, I started to work with with John on 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 the Royals as uh, staging it, choreographing bits. Um, and then being associate producer mm. and, and 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 working with him, and that was my first one working with him was in '93, and it was Silla's thirtieth year, thirtieth anniversary, and I'd known Silla for a while, um, and I'd worked with her uh, on um, I, I, when I was choreographing rather than AP, you know, I did bits on Surprise Surprise. I and so that with Coleman. So I did a lot of surprise, surprise, and some just some tiny little bits on Blind Date. Um, and I'd done a few little jobs at LWT, but not full time. Um, and I said, This is Scylla's 30th year. She should host it. And John agreed. And and I and I said with Jackie, she's just got this album out, 
and it's 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 through the years. I said she should sing. You'll never walk alone. Uh, we met with Stella, and she said, "I'm not singing. I'm I I I can't. I don't think I've got it." And I said, "Oh my goodness, don't. What do you mean you can't do it?" So I said, "Let's get with um, Alan Ainsworth and Trevor Brown, and let's just go through." Anyway, she did it, um, and it it was it was wonderful, and that's where I think John gave me the opportunity again to he he with a lot of them he gave us all opportunities to come up with ideas you know I, I actually choreographed the Muppets that year with right said Fred I'm too sexy for my shirt with the big life-size Muppets and stuff and um <laughs> and um and that was the first time I had the opportunity to work with Dame Gillian Lynn who was doing Pickwick and she became a lifelong friend family she became family so again that was been and then I stayed at LWT um, working there. And then when John went through Talent TV, he left and went to Talent. And it was Marcus Plantin was there. I did a lot of stuff with Talent. I did some stuff with Talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got an exclusive deal with LWT. And for those, you know, those of us that know what an exclusive is, you can only work for a specific company. Mm-hmm. And one of the great producers that I have worked with again was a guy called Paul Jackson, who came from the BBC. I'm sure you work with him, Colin. Yeah. Paul came over and uh, they wanted to expand. They wanted to expand the um, the uh, music side of ITV. Hmm. <clears throat> and it was going very much into the music way. And they'd done bits, but what could we do? And how could we head up? And I started to produce um, some of the shows. And Nigel Lithgow said to me, I want you to produce an audience with the Bee Gees. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, it's an hour show. So I said, okay. And I'd known the format of an audience with, audience with, but it was mainly comedians. Yes. And the very first one, the very first one was Billy Connolly. If you look at that show, there wasn't one question asked. Not one. (laughs) It was just Billy. But that man is a genius. I had the opportunity to work with him too. Um, But it was, so I did an audience and I, I, I flew to Miami to meet Barry Gibb, wonderful man. I then came back and met with them down in Beaconsfield, where they lived, mm-hmm. sitting in them with the three brothers and sitting, and he was playing a guitar and he was singing, how can you mend a broken heart? I said, you're singing the wrong words. He went, what? So that's the, that's the, being a Bee Gees fan, I knew the words inside out. And I thought, I can't believe I'm just, Barry Gibb is saying the wrong words. <laughs> um, he did sing the wrong words, by the way. Yeah. But, um, I I I did do that, and you know, Nigel gave me the opportunity to um, do that. David Lidman, who then was the controller, he, he was the network center, a network center. At the end of the show, came up and said, "I want a ninety-minute show because it was so wonderful." And from that, that enabled me to progress and reach out to other stars. And I was very fortunate to be able to do. Um, some big, big names, um, you know, and I did an audience with Diana Ross. I did an audience with uh, Ricky Martin. I did an audience with Donny Osmond. And then and I'll, um, the thing how Donny worked, and forgive me, I, you must shut me up, but the, the, I wanted to do a very different audience with, and I thought I would like to, with the success of American Idol, the start of those pop stars with Nigel, and Nigel went over to come over here to produce the biggest the biggest reality competition show in history it's some phenomenon in history that he he put together with Simon Fuller 
the guy who who you know created the Spice Girls. Mm. Um, and when I thought, who were the two biggest idols in the UK? Donny Osmond, David Cassidy. Mm. I thought, let's re- let's unite the original idols because that's what pop idol was based on. Right. They loved the idea. I came over to LA. Donny had never met David Cassidy. They had been on the same shows, but they had never, their paths had never crossed. So we were to meet for the very first time at Universal Records. Lucian Grange, who is now the CEO of Universal, set this up and um, he, we met in the, in, the, in the boardroom. I'd met Donny. Donny was there. In came David Cassidy. They met for the first time, which was quite, and no one filmed it. No one had flip cameras or phones in. They mm. just came in and they met and it was an absolute disaster. No. They did not get on at all. Wow. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Donnie didn't get on. I felt that David was in a part of his career and a part of his life where he was not happy, um, bitter in many, many ways. And, um, you know, the, even the ideas I had about singing each other's song and coming together and uniting, I thought it was great. And um, it didn't go well. And I came out and I felt this isn't, this show is not going to be what an audience is with. Mm. And I came back and I said, thank you for the, giving the idea. I said, to, you know, I said to um, Nigel and stuff, I said, it's not going to work. I said, but I think Donny is amazing. And they, and he said, I don't think it will work. We have to ask the network center. And they gave me the opportunity. And of course, it was amazing. And mm. that was my start of my friendship with Donnie. I had him come over and do, we did the Mania season series. We first started with Abba Mania. Yes. Hosted by Denise. 1999 that was. And again, it was a charity. It was all done for charity. It was done for the, for the kids' charity. And we got all the top names and I got Westlife to sing I Have a Dream, which then became a bigger hit for And Louis allowed me to do all that. Mm. And we did Abermania, Abermania 2, 80s mania, 70s mania, disco mania, Motown mania. And we so the the music in the music um department was growing big enough. And 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 that was, you know, that was absolutely uh, amazing. And, and just cute. working for all I would say, huh? Jeff, is that you started that from scratch. That music well, I was allowed. Well, it, it was there. I think I turned the scratch into a open wound. Um, <laughs> it, just, it just didn't stop, and we were, we were, you know, we were very open. And I was, I was, I, I just wanted to, you know, to be around. And then we started to do. We would come over to America, and I know Keith mentioned this. We did like a, a Phil Collins live by request, and then we did it with Elton. And then I bought it. We came back and we did a, a, a boys' own one, um, you know. And and I was I would I like to be instrumental in opening up things like Westlife. I think I gave them one of their very earliest shows on ITV, their performances, and then I got them through the Royal Variety. Mm. Um, and again, I, I don't, I, I hate this to sound egotistical, but in a position whereby you could open doors and opportunities for someone to do, we did Christmas Mania. Mm. And, and I was invited by Simon Cowell, who I first met Simon Cowell. He was the A&R guy uh, for Barry Manilow. And I choreographed Barry Manilow for Aspel & Co. years ago. 
Um, then from that, I'm jumping like a butterfly. And then from that, I was asked to choreograph Gloria Estefan. And Gloria Estefan is one of these people I would do anything for. She was amazing. And then from that, so Simon Cowser, I got this group called Il Devo. Come, we're doing a showcase. And um, I went to see it. And they, it was it was unique. It was like a boy band for opera. And I loved it. And I said, would they, would they come and do Christmas Mania? And they sang... Um, Oh, Holy Night, that was their first TV show. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to do um, uh, the National Music Awards. We did it in conjunction with the Daily Mirror. Now, the Daily Mirror, I had the connection with Peter Willis, who sadly is no longer with us. Wonderful man. His idea was Pride of Britain. Oh, he yes. came with the idea of Pride of Britain. And I did every I did Pride of Britain for 10 years from, from scratch. And so um, we... Again, just staging people, putting it together, choosing the music. And um, we did the National Music Awards. It's the first time everybody heard of Michael Bublé. I saw him over here in a tiny club. No one knew what he was like. The man was phenomenal. Um, and so we did that for two. We did that for two years. And and I will tell you uh, again. Uh, uh, well, I think it's a funny story. Quite. So the very first recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award is going to be Dame Shirley Bassey. So we went and asked her if she would if she would um, agree to have it. And she said, yes. So I went back to the network center and I cannot mention any names. So I went back to the network and I said, Dame Shirley said she would be honored to be the first recipient of the award. And the person in charge said, she doesn't have to sing, does she? Oh. Ooh. Ooh. That was my reaction. I said, uh, well, we're giving out, it's the National Music Awards that's been voted for by the people of the Daily Mirror. And yeah, and yes. Oh, well then just one song. So I said, uh, I said, okay. So I went back to Dame Shirley and I said, listen, I know your time is very precious. I said, but would you be happy if, if just to do one? She said, oh no, that's, I said, okay, great. And she said, um, right, diamonds are forever. I said, could you do Goldfinger? I said, I've got flames, Goldfinger. What dress do you think? And this is how it goes. You know, I sat and picked the dress. She was, she was amazing. And linking her to Pride of Britain, um, we, after the show one night, in the green room downstairs, they were very kindly supplied champagne for those people who were presenting and um, uh, afterwards. And I went down, it was, it was Tony Blair's year, and I was brushing dandruff off his suit because he was no one had even I was doing his putting his tie up for pushed him on at the end of the show went downstairs into the green room there was me there was Shirley Bassey Paul O'Grady and Shirley's assistant the only people that were there they bought in champagne champagne flowed Savage said to me do you think you can get any more I said I'll go and get some more went outside bought two bottles in we sat there and this was the most intimate, complete concert performance from Dame Shirley. She sang every single hit down the line for me and Paul O'Grady, who was joining in one of those moments where it was quite unique. Yeah. Quite unique. Unforgettable. Well, for me, it was. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it I, was. I mean, I mean, that's that's a television special in itself, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, she couldn't stop her, but she was a, <laughs> she was a performer. Um, 
But to link to going to Savage, and again, please, please, please stop me if if I'm going on too much. But working with Savage, um, I was very, I was fortunate. I was fortunate um, to be able when I was still at LWT. Nigel had left. Nigel had left to come over here to do American Idol, and he had left the company. Um, and I was very fortunate enough to ask to produce the 2001 Royal Variety performance. Um, and I, well, I, I surrounded myself with the experts I needed to make it happen. Keith being one, you know, Keith did so many of my shows. I never heard him say no. Mm-hmm. He never said no. He said, leave it with me and come back and give me an option. He would always say, if I said I wanted four white horses and a carriage, he'd say, okay, well, what, what do you want to give up or what can we do? Mm-hmm. Um, so to have him around, Jackie Tyler, who was a sounding board like you would not believe. Her, her, her like, like me, if I, if I may pat myself on the back, dealing with talent is one of the biggest things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And she was amazing, and I learned so much from her, so much from her and how to deal with it. Um, and I put it together, and we were trying to, what can we do? How can we do it? And I thought, oh, I know. Well, if it's not too late, I would like to even make bigger the Julian Clary opening I did four years previously for the Prince's Trust and make it even bigger this time. Bigger. And this time, yeah, this time I want him dressed as a Canadian Mountie. I asked Dougie if he would choreograph it for me. And it would be, um, I want him to, to do this Canadian Mountie song. Um, and he had, everybody was Canadian Mounties and he was on a horse, stuffed horse. <laughs> Bobby Warren, I said, Bobby, I need a stuffed horse. It, it literally... Um, it literally arrived and I filled the stage with everybody from uh, we had traffic wardens we had the beef eaters we had we had I went to Italy and got the flag throwers from Gubbio the San Baditiori to Gubbio's and the Chelsea pensioners broke everybody's heart so I did that and it was a time in television whereby every week in the office, the people that worked in the record industry, they were called, they were called pluggers, but they were reps. They'd come in and say, we got this album coming out. We got that album coming out. This artist is coming in. And I, again, I'm still in touch with, with some of them. And one, one of the, um, I'm still in touch with one of the best ladies I've ever had the pleasure to work with in her field, Sam Wright. She, she was at Polydor Universal. She, she repped, she's like a boy's own. Jason Donovan, Bee Gees. I mean, it was, she was like, help me put together with the Bee Gees. So she said, she goes, um, she said, um, I won't imitate her accent at all, but she goes, here, she said, Lloyd Webber's got a new album coming out. Lloyd Webber Gold. Is there anything we can do? So I said, I'm sure, you know, like, let's think about it. And they'd already done a Cameron Macintosh um, tribute way back in, I think in 91 at the Victoria Palace. Royal Variety. There'd never been one for Andrew. So I said, let's think about it, Sam. Let's put it together. So, and I'm a musical fan. Absolutely adore it. And so we put together like big chunks of hits. We put it down. It's coming out to 19 minutes. Well, as you know, 19 minutes on TV is a half hour special. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, we've got to trim it down. And she goes, okay. So we went to meet Andrew, went to meet him. Uh, it is the thing. And I said, Andrew, this is what I'd like to do. And 
and he said, well, can we have all, uh, well, you know, I don't want all the same people that um, Cameron had. And I understood why he was doing it. So I said to Sam, let's go with people that have never done it before. We'd never done it before. So we put this medley together and the medley ended up being 14 and a half minutes. And it was the, it was the first we had Adam Watkins who that year won, I think one like the very first vocal talent shows. Uh, Arlene Phillips had choreographed Vinnie Jones doing McCavity. Um, I got Samantha Mumba to do um, I Don't Know How to Love Him, Charlotte Church and Robert Meadmore to do All I Ask of You, this beautiful tenor to do um, uh, the uh, Phantom of the Opera. And then at the very end, Donnie came out. And so we did that together. Mm-hmm. I, put in, I put in the thing and I just wanted a Cirque du Soleil. I had a wonderful relationship, put something special, blah, blah, blah. And then I was out to dinner one night, and I don't mean to name drop, but we've been name dropping all the time. But so <laughs> Silla said to me, she said, listen, Savage has asked, said to me about this idea about doing Gotta Have a Gimmick from Gypsy. Mm. And I said, really? I said, I said to her, would you do it? She said, I'm thinking about it. He's, tr- he's, you know, he's trying to persuade me to do it. And I said, well, I said, listen, if you would, if you are honestly going to say to me you're going to do it, then I I can't have you pulling out. I was very honest with her. I said, can't have you pulling out through nerves. I said, but if we're going to do it, I will do it as a total surprise. I'm not going to mention it. We're not going to put it in the brochure, and we're not going to do it. It will be a total surprise. Now the total surprise would be that if she did pull out, no one's going to know. That was behind me. So she said, but you need to choreograph it. I don't, I, I just want somebody that I said, I- I'll choreograph it. I'll do it for you. I said, and who? I said, so it's going to be you. I said, and, and Lily Savage. And I said, I have to think about the third one. And the biggest name at that time with the biggest storyline was Barbara Windsor. Mm-hmm. Now I've choreographed Barbara many, many years ago on Keith Harrison Orville show at the, B- at the BBC. And at that time, um, so I, I, I called EastEnders and the BBC, and they said, no, Hmm. they said, no, we can't release it. And I said, this is for a charity. I know it's on ITV, but this is for a charity, the EABF, I said. And also you have to understand that Barbara is a great supporter of EABF and Brinsworth House, of which it is a fundraiser. Hmm. And they said, no, 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 we've been asked before and we said no. And I said, it's it's a BBC. At that time, it was BBC one year, ITV the other, BBC one, ITV the other. So I said, would you, I said, well, I hope if you have, if you have no objection that if I'm asked afterwards uh, or before about it, I'm going to say that I did ask Barbara and the BBC would not release it contractually, even though it's for a charity. Three days later, I got a call. I told Barbara this and I also knew her agent, Barry Burnett. And I said to Barry, Barry, can, what can you do? Anyway, I think Barbara put a foot down. Yeah. And it was Barbara. And so Keith did tell the story. So I, I, I won't repeat it as much. But other than we never, ever put it in the brochure. We never rehearsed it in, with anybody in the theatre. We rehearsed it. Absolutely. I choreographed it. And the funny thing is, when ITV recently showed a thing called Scylla the Lost Tapes, and I did an interview with that, I'd never seen the rehearsal footage that her son Robert took. I'd never seen it. Oh, and wow. there's one point where she comes up and she whispers in my ear and I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't even say the interview. I couldn't tell her what she whispered in my ear. 
but the story was absolutely true when we did the sh when we were doing the costume fitting. Stephen Adnett, who did all of Silla's outfits at ITV, showed me this design, and he said, "I want to." He said, "Oh, I, I want to design it so it's looking like a million dollars." I said, "No, no, 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 make it look like ten million. I said, "I want this costume to light up." And when we went to Silla's flat, she put it on, and I said, "Legs could be higher." She said, "No, I can't." I said, "Yes, you can. Yes, you can." So she said, "Well, no higher than that." So she put it up there, and I said to Stephen Adnett afterwards. Take it up another inch. Take it to her hip bone. Just measure her hip bone. Mm. Don't say anything to her. Um, and anyway, we had the fitting. She put it on. The lights didn't work. One thing, every it was like she had to control it with her hand. We are backstage in her dressing room. Didn't work. There's a guy on his knees, literally in front of Scylla, soldering the wires together to make it work. And, and I mean, it's like it was the only time it, actually ever worked was in the performance oh. i got donnie to introduce it and without question i will tell you that when savage came out and that was i mean we had such fun in rehearsals honestly yeah. that fun you know he bought his own he bought his own costume savage bought his own outfit um and it 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 it, it came out and um it literally bought the house down and i remember saying to barbara windsor she said, oh, she said, they're funnier than me. I said, Barbara, you're also totally different. So totally different. And I said, I said, just turn around and tell them. Just say, I was classically trained, you know. I mean, she wasn't. Hmm. And she threw the line in just down to um, Trevor Brown. Hmm. And that to me, that to me was what I remember as a child watching the Royal Varieties. There was something special up their sleeve. There was something unexpected it was something just special for that show mm. always something knock them out with something knock them out with a surprise um and that was that i mean i got elton john to walk on at, the, at halfway through and he goes no no don't worry i'm not on yet to introduce craig david mm. jennifer lopez who had never done it before it was it was to me it was i i felt i just had to have a box of surprises up my sleeve that was the biggest and i believe that their performance will go down in television history in that realm of one-off specials as a piece of television, a milestone, a gem in, in television history. Yeah, uh, an iconic moment. Iconic. And even though the idea came from them, it did. Together as a team, we were, and it just worked brilliantly. Um, and so, uh, you know, after that and, 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 and jumping and, and, and moving forward, I was asked then to do the 2003 Royal Variety and the palace wanted to take it out of London. And um, I said, I said, what about Edinburgh? Now there'd been a Royal Gala show, but never a Royal Variety performance. And I said, the Duke of Edinburgh is going to go. Let's, can, let's go to Edinburgh. So Keith and I went up to Edinburgh, looked at the theater and it was a celebrating the 75th Royal Variety performance that year. And so I wrote to the palace and I said, um, oh, it's the 75th, which is the diamond anniversary. And they wrote back to me and said, no, I'm sorry, it's not the diamond. 60th is the diamond anniversary. Wow. And I said, oh. So I looked it up and indeed, diamond anniversary is 60. However, because that was based on Queen Victoria's silver, golden and diamond jubilee, she hadn't reached a platinum jubilee. So after 60, it had stopped. 
So they always, everything was the diamond. It was a diamond, diamond, diamond. Yeah. I thought, okay, how can I do this? What can I think? Again, I wanted to do an opening. What can we do in Scotland? It has to be, for me, what traditional, what people think traditional Scottish and the heart of Scotland, their music, their heart and their soul. So I had 180 pipers uh, that all over Scotland, different regiments from the British Gas Pipers Corporation to the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards and, uh, and whatever it was. And I thought, OK, wherever we're going to be, I'm going to get these pipers. So I wrote back to the palace and I said, it is the Diamond Jubilee. And they wrote back and said, no, you're absolutely right. Forgive us. And I said, so I'm going to reflect that in, in the thing. So how can I do it? I got in touch with one of the biggest diamond merchants in the world and said, would you supply diamonds for every single member of the company of the Royal Command Performance for that show? Here is a list of those people who are performing, if you would. They got back and they said, well, think about it. They didn't say no, think about it. They then got back and said, yes, we would, but would they mind if they chose what they wore? And I said, not at all. I'm telling Keith this. Keith is now shaking in his boots because <laughs> they shipped, they drove up to Edinburgh in a Brinks van, 30 million pounds worth of diamonds. Blimey. 30 million pounds worth. We couldn't tell anybody, only on the day, just didn't tell anybody at all. Um, <laughs> I then wrote a letter to go inside the royal, inside the brochure from the queen. I wrote it, I said, this is the type of thing we're gonna say. Uh, and I wrote it back. She didn't change a word. She kept oh. every single word that I did. I still have, so they sent it to me and I said, oh, she hasn't signed it. The queen hasn't signed it. And they said, she never signs it. That is, she never signs it. And I said, oh, well, I've sent it back to you. So they sent me another one. Well, the, the original didn't get back. It came back to my office. So I have I have the original letter typed in Buckingham Palace that the Queen didn't sign, but I have the original one. The replacement one went into the brochure. Anyway, I wanted I think it okay. I need something big. So I so I thought I'd choreographed Dame Edna Everidge on the National Lottery Live, way, way back at the BBC. And I had met him through a friend of mine, B. Arthur from Golden Girls who adored him and they were socially, and I'd met him, but I didn't know him, but I'd met him. So I rang, I rang his office and I said, I have this idea of you opening the show, dress a Scottish national flower, the thistle. In my head, I saw him as a thistle. Mm. He absolutely loved the idea, hands down. We worked, he did his own script, Colin. He wrote everything. And I said, and I will bring you on. You will be brought on by 85 members of the Pipes and Drums. Loved it. So I wrote to, so I get in touch with Holly Roodhouse and I said, can you please get me the Queen's Scottish Royal Standard? Because outside the theatre, there's three flagpoles. I'm gonna have the flag of Scotland. I'm gonna have the theatre uh, in the middle. I'm gonna raise the Royal Standard as the Queen comes up. Wonderful idea. So they get the thing, Cat Dealey, who I'd now worked with and produced her for two, three seasons of stars in their eyes up in Manchester. So I was adoring her. And she is, if you ever, ever get the opportunity to work with her, pay someone to work with her. She is 
one of the best hosts that I, I think she's the best host I've ever worked with around in the world. She is unbelievable. Timing, 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 in her ears. So she's outside, she's dressed in this dress. She has a necklace on that's over a million pounds. In the outside, it said, I, the Queen's car is drawing up now. This Bentley comes round. As she's going round, you hear the pipes and drums go. The bagpipes are playing. I found out the Queen's favourite song. They're playing it as she arrives. As she arrives, this flag, talk about timing, literally goes up and reaches its apex as she steps out of the car. She comes in. She goes to the royal box. The show begins. I'll jump. In rehearsals, I made Keith stand in for the Queen. So when he came into the royal box, and, and I have it all on video, I have a rehearsal video of Keith standing in for the Queen. <laughs> and the director, who sadly is no longer with the Stuart McDonald, was framing his shot. And I said, Stuart, remember, and this is nothing against Keith, I said, remember, Keith is a different build to Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> He absolutely loved it. Anyway, the Queen goes in and um, we do the show. At the end of the first half, I had um, Donny Osmond come on. And he, again, Keith told you, so I won't repeat it. But he, he reflected back about how big the Osmonds were. Mm. And back in 1973, they did a Royal Command performance. And this is what they look like, blah, 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 blah. And he said, and I'm going to sing a song now. We had dancers dressed up as the Osmonds they were. And as the curtain drove up, flew up, there were the Osmond brothers. The first time ever for 25 years they'd appeared on stage together and sang a song. It was a standing ovation. I'm going, I get, I get goosebumps even thinking about it. And that was a moment too that was, um, it was amazing. And it was a, a stand-up moment. And another moment in that was Nigel Hall, who was the control of entertainment at that time, um, suggested and got that we had Frank Bruno come on. And the people hadn't seen him in public for many, many years. And he came another standing ovation. Mm -hmm. um, and it, there were, again, they were pointers, you know, with, with it, within that. Um, and I closed with, <laughs> I closed with Pavarotti. And again, I don't want to repeat the story, but I flew over to Bologna to to meet him and he was staying in the hotel and he had somebody put a kitchen into his hotel room so he could cook his own pasta. I didn't know, but that's what he cooked. He cooked his own meals. He had a gas ring in literally in the Balmoral Hotel, Edinburgh, cooking. And he put boiling water on his feet and burnt his foot. Had to, that to get we had to get medics to go in bandage it up, he comes down. He was rather a large person. He then says to me at rehearsals the night before, I'm only gonna do one number. And I said, oh, but we've agreed three. I'm only gonna do one. And I said, um, we've timed it. As you know, timing is all important for a show and it's live, there's no retakes, Yeah. Um, only gonna do one. And Keith and those people that were there, I was on the stage for 43 minutes trying to convince him to do the songs and he would not. Wow. I thought, okay, then we go with the one. But as you know, with comedy, comedians, script writers, and they, they will take seven minutes and make it to 17 minutes. So I wasn't too bothered about trying to find time. Hmm. We definitely, Al Murray, the pub landlord, I made him come on twice. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the intermission, 
as a producer, you're taken to the royal retiring room where the Queen and Prince Philip was there. And um, we went in and uh, the Queen was standing there and her equerry introduced me and your majesty. And she said, and again, I will not in, imitate her voice, but we all know how the Queen spoke. And she said, um, she said, oh, I, I understand it's the Diamond Jubilee. I said, indeed it is, ma'am, it's the Diamond Jubilee. She went, oh. I said, in fact, all the members of the company are wearing diamonds to celebrate the Diamond Jubilee. She went, ah, oh, do you think these will do? <gasps> and she raised her hand with a quick wit. It was, it was amazing. And she had, she also had diamonds around her neck the size of thumbnails. <laughs> like it was so quick and so sharp. I heard her say it. I heard her say it. Um, very quick-witted. Oh. And, um, and it was, again, going back, I had escorted the Prince, uh, Prince Philip a few times on previous royal varieties, like in Birmingham and, 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 uh, and in London. But for me, uh, as a Battersea boy, to walk the Queen round twice and introduce her to everybody and talk to me on a one-to-one -one was, it is, it is, again, Colin, for those of us in the industry, the royal variety performance is one of those, it, it's, it's a jewel in your own crown to, to use. Uh, it's pinnacle. Yeah, it's but, but, but uh, to walk her around uh, was unbelievable. And on both occasions, on the first one that I produced in 2001, I presented her with a silver frame with her great-great-grandfather and queen, the very first two that ever came to do the Royal Variety in 1912, George V and Queen Mary. I gave her a picture of that. Then this year, at uh, that year, 2003, I gave her a silver coaster with the engraved with the royal arms of scotland and it just said the royal variety performance um 2003 with two little diamonds in and i said and i gave it to her and i said um she went, and she looked at it and she said ah i said it's 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 a wine coaster i said it's a coaster ma'am i said um i don't know if you have any i said i don't know if you have anything to you know we're gonna do it. she said i'll find a place ah. um, and and she left and it was it was amazing. Those diamonds went back in that box, out, gone, 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 gone. <laughs> All the pipers and drums. The show went out, um, and I think that one of the reasons it, that it, 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 it again it got good figures for ITV because the previous one in two thousand and one was the highest rated Royal Variety performance for thirteen years, and I don't think it's been touched since then. Mm -hmm. But um, we went back, and then I got a letter from Holyrood House from this Sandy, his name was. And he wrote and said, um, dear Jeff, thank you. So what I've been asked, I've been asked to convey the the queen and Prince, um, uh, not condolences, their congratulations on a wonderful, wonderful show, which they thoroughly enjoyed. Da, 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 da. And then there was another letter. It said, on another note, would you please ensure that um, the flag, the Royal flag, that was flown up in the mask is edited out of the show because I had no idea when you asked for me that you can only fly that flag on government buildings and palaces once the queen is in position. Oh. And wrote back and said, thank you so much for your letter and um, for the flag. However, the show was transmitted last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but such an honor and a privilege to have done that. And again, without my team, um, but I, 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 again, I felt that the, I wanted the Royal Variety to be something that a Royal Variety was known for. Mm. And I believe over the years, and I'm sure it's going to be controversial, what I'm going, I'm going to say, but I, I think that over the years, um, when things changed and no longer the, the, the personalities and the performers that grew up on the Royal Variety, people that you'd work, the Bob Monkhouses, the Professor Bruce Forsyth, the Frankie Howe, the ones that grew up with it were no longer around. And I think the generation had changed, the, mo- the mood had changed. And I felt that it, 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 as in lots of shows, as in lots of shows, including mine, including mine, you'll get the big artists when they've got things to promote yes. and things, because that's why you can get the big names because they're there. I'm not knocking that. That is one of the reasons we are able to get some of the big stars that we can. But I felt that the balance of the show had then trans moved forward into it became it it came like a plugging show to me. And of course, the music industry loved it because it gave them the opportunity to do it. Mm. But I felt that some of the shine and the sparkle had gone off because I didn't feel that at times. And again, I'm not knocking any production teams. Things change as far as budgets are concerned and availability is concerned. But I felt that for some reason. The, the, uh, the magic, the magic, the magic had disappeared mm. a bit, and um, I, 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 I do feel that you know going back even before I did it, some of the moments were absolutely memorable, and I remember this is the thing I was going to say to you earlier on. I remember sitting at Wogan once. I sit in the dressing room with Kenneth Williams, and everybody said, "Oh, he's don't he's going to be he's miserable." Da, 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 this and that and this and that. He was charming. He may have been miserable. He was. I sit in his sat in his dressing room. We were waiting to go on, and sitting talking. And he was a wonderful raconteur. And he said to me, and I don't know what you're thinking. I'm going to ask you. He said to me, he was talking about alternative comedy. It was the time when, and I loved it, like the young ones. I mean, I loved it. Ben Elton, it was fresh. It was vibrant. It was new. I totally get that. And I totally, totally understand. I never worked with French and Saunders. I wish I did. I never got the opportunity. And he said, he said, the problem that he found with alternative comedy was they kept it to themselves and they didn't share it with anybody. Oh, that's an interesting observation. Yes. Yeah. I can understand that entirely. And if you look when I, if you look at the comedy has changed, but if you look at people and forgive me, I I love their comedy. That's why I'm saying it. Mm. But if you look at Tommy Cooper's and you look at the one that were funny, that were clever and funny, the Les Dawson's, I mean, Les was wonderful. I I don't know if you ever worked with him, but he was Mm. wonderful. Mm. I mean, I'm going to throw this question into you. We're talking about uh, comedians. Who did you have, the pleasure to work with knowing that they were going to take the work that you did and enhance it tenfold. Cause that's what they did with my work. Mm. Oh, so many, the, the mark of the true star in comedy I felt was that they would take what you did, which they thought, well, there might, there, there might be a laugh in that, but then they would embellish it and double the laughter quotient of what you'd written. They, they would, they would perf- that. Yeah, that's the thing, Jeff, isn't it? They would perform the jokes with with facial expressions and hand gestures. Uh, I remember Bob Monkhouse saying, I can't play a gig that's anything bigger than the Palladium. 
or anything bigger than the Liverpool Empire, because that's about the capacity that I can play as a performer. Uh, and now, of course, you get comics playing the O2 because of the big screens and well, the audience can appreciate every nuance and facial gesture uh, to help with the performance of a joke. So the mark yeah. of a true star is you can you can get a piece of comedy and then you know witness Mr. Barker, then wring every drop of comedy from it. Stuff that you, you, have to, you know was yeah, there. You have to hand it over to them. You hand it to them. Yeah. If they, and 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 to and, and and to make it their own. And I think that that's what I've learned, you know, over the years. And and then you know again music, which was my that, that was what I was brought up with, and being given the opportunity to work with so many and and to be around so many and open up and 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 and. and for me to see them grow, for me to see them, you know, grow into talented artists and people that you could rely on and people to work with, you know, Nicky Chapman, who was at 19 with Simon Fuller. I staged Top of the Pops for years. And I remember him doing that when he was like, no, 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 19, when he was managing that and Andy Lennox and stuff. I mean, I didn't choreograph them, but I staged it for the Stan Appels and the Paul Chianis and all stuff like that, which was, mm. which was wonderful. Um, and then uh, uh, one of the reasons that, uh, that I gave up choreography and moving into production was I couldn't, I couldn't do the stuff that the kids were doing. I couldn't do oh. it, and I felt, and I felt that it was a fraud that I would get somebody in to do it for me and then claim that as my own. That's I could have the ideas, and I thought I just take all the creativity that I've learned and hopefully make a make a go of it in production. And I, and again, I take my hat off to every producer and director that gave me the opportunity to be able to. Uh, create my own magic to mm. become a, a magician in my own rights. Yeah. Um, and then when I was at LWT, at the very end of it, and it started to amalgamate Granada in, in all the franchises, Anglia and Southern, they all got bit bigger and it went under the umbrella of ITV. And it was then the network centre that was done from London. And, and if I'm very honest, I felt there was a, a, a change in the wind. I think it was going in a way whereby... Um, it, it was moving into other areas that uh, maybe I wasn't right for, maybe mm. uh, in both ways, maybe I wasn't right for them and they didn't think that, that, I, that, that, that what I was doing was right either. And they, I was being asked to do things that I didn't honestly, in my gut felt not comfortable in doing, but I just didn't think it was me. I didn't think it was me. And I felt that there was, the times were coming, I could see change happening, that people, the writing on the wall, that wall was getting bigger and bigger. And there was a fresh face. And I thought, maybe now's the time, maybe now's the time to look for something else. I thought, where do I go? Because mm -hmm. I've been incredibly fortunate to do so many, many, many things. Yeah. And out of the blue, out of the blue, I had a call from Nigel Lithgow, and Simon Fuller, they were enjoying themselves up in the Napa Valley, which is the wine country here in Northern California. Uh -huh. And they called me and said, um, we are doing a new show. Um, it's similar to American Idol, but it's based, it's, it's about dancers and dancing. And Simon and Nigel created this thing because Idol was now huge, absolutely huge. So they had a great calling card. And if you've got that, that hit behind you, the people in this industry will listen to, to what you're going to do. And they said, and Nigel said, I'd like you to come over to produce it. And I said, oh, okay. He said, can you come over next Tuesday? <laughs> I said, That's Nigel, yes. I said, no, I can't, Nigel. 
I can't come over next Tuesday. I can come next Thursday. <laughs> well said. I needed a week to resign from LWT. I'd had so much holiday owned for me because I never, I worked through all my holidays, LWT. Um, and I discussed it. I discussed it at home. And uh, I said, what do you think? And I thought, I've never done, I've never turned an opportunity if I feel that one, I could offer something or I'd be excited about it. I went in and I gave my gave my notice in. And Charles Allen, who was, the, it was a, a lovely, lovely man, said, is there anything we can do to keep you? And I said, I don't think so, Charles. He said, I think that you've given me ample opportunity. And Simon Shapps, all the people that I'd worked with, and I feel that it's time that everybody's going through a transition. So I said, yes. I packed a suitcase for 10 weeks. That was all. 10 weeks. I was coming over here for 10 weeks. I thought sunshine came over. Um, that was 18 years ago, last weekend. Oh, wow. And um, I have really, I don't know where the 18 years have gone, but So You Think You Can Dance um, mm. started out season one. Yeah. Had no idea where we were going. It was just an idea. But Nigel and I had come up with our backgrounds and knowledge of what we knew as dancers and what we could do. And Nigel wanted to base this very much on a chorus line where people like Dougie did. When Dougie chose Nigel for the young generation, it was for who they were. Mm -hmm. So it was the premise of we're going to get to know who you were, all shapes, sizes, colors, breeds. And that's how So You Think began. We didn't know where we were going, Colin. And I, my saying is we never did the same show once. <sighs> and when I came over, I had nowhere to stay. Didn't know, I stayed with Nigel for five days. Hmm. And I had worked back in 1990 with B. Arthur and Angela Lansbury. I restaged Bosom Buddies hmm. for a gala concert that Millicent Martin asked me to stay. The one-off, this is where fate comes in. And... I had visited her on many occasions being in LA and we'd become friends. And it was, she was, it was non-negotiable. I couldn't stay anywhere else. I lived with her for a year. Um, and we had a, over a 20 year friendship. And when she sadly passed, it was a great loss, uh, a great loss for me. Um, and uh, again, Nigel cast so well, he put a great team. We're still in contact. We're still in touch. Um, Simon Fuller, who, if you took the word genius and gentleman and put them together, it would just say Simon Fuller. Wow. He is amazing. Nigel is one of the best producers I've ever had the pleasure to work with. Such a mind, such a brain. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, we think the same thing. We, we, you know, it's, we're like a double act. We did so many shows together and laughed about it. I remember we were doing Bruce's Sunday Night London Palladium. And the very last time we were in it, Andrew Bocelli was topping the bill. And they were going to rip the famous revolve out of the theatre. The, the, ne the very next day, I said to Nigel, let's jump on because let's just yes. jump on. The and if you look at the credits, you see us go through. I mean, we were very naughty boys. <laughs> and you just see us waving. Um, and and so, you know, it, it was, we, we trusted each other too. We trusted yeah. each other. And what I call constructive discussion. And again, Nigel allowed the show to evolve and develop. And thank goodness, because 
not only have I had the opportunity and pleasure to have done 17 seasons of So You Think, I put this show on in 33 countries around the world. I've flown to 33 countries and done their own version of it. Yeah. And to be able to um, be here and do that. And Nigel asked me to, he was on the board of the Britannias over here. Now the Britannias is like the American version of the BAFTAs. It's connected to, but it's their own thing. And he asked me to produce that, uh, which I did for three years. And talk about starstruck. I go into one room. They were making too much noise. I could hear them with my headphones. And I thought, they're making too much noise. And I walked into the green room and sitting down there. And I said, I went and I literally, I, I said, ladies, please, please keep the noise down. Have fun, but keep the noise down. There's one of you out here getting an award. There's, there was Kathy Bates, Jodie Foster, Julia Roberts. I mean, it was <laughs> incredible. And they looked at me and they went, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh. Kate Winslet, so sorry. And um, that was the only other person I did take a pic. I, I wanted, I escorted Jodie Foster out. She was the next one in. Um, so I escorted her. But when when Julia Roberts came out dressed in this man's tuxedo, hmm. looking just stunning, stunning, she said to me, I saw you take Jodie Foster out in uh, arm in arm. And I said, yeah, I did. She said, well, you're not going to take my arm. I said, well, come on then. <laughs> so I escorted her and I said, are you chewing gum? She went, yeah. I said, take it out. She went, <laughs> so I tore a piece of the script and said, Put it in there. She, I said, put it in there. So I screwed it up and threw it away. She said, no, 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 don't. I said, you're not going to eat that again. She said, no, no, eBay. We can sell it on. Oh. Said, <laughs> um, and so we went on and I said to her at the end, would we, I, I'm sorry to ask this, but I, I'd love a photo. You look gorgeous. And we're both in taxis. She said, absolutely. It's the worst picture of me. <laughs> well, I have stuck up hair, headphones on, um, and so that was, uh, that was, again, talk about with high profile stars to work with. And let's just say very few, mm. very few um, were not nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that, that was wonderful too. But going back to So You Think, it's been, and I did, uh, uh, again, this sounds like I did, I did, but that's what we, we did. Uh, and Nigel asked me to choreograph the opening of Idol Gives Back, which received the Governor's Emmy Award, which is a, such a prestigious award. And we, we combined the we combined the Singers of Idol and the Dancers with So You Think on a big, big yes. thing. And then we did Idol UK. And Idol UK was taking the American Idol, chopping out Ryan Seacrest, putting Kat Dealey in, still doing the performances and interviewing all the people. So we did that for two seasons, which wow, was- Wow, yeah. Um, and so again, being blessed is the word I will use. It's it's just wonderful, and I don't know where eighteen years has gone. No, um, I still feel when I wake up and it's sunshine that I'm on vacation. And yeah. those ten minutes of but your energy, your creative energy, but your physical energy to sustain such momentum is astonishing. It's prodigious. What do you put that down to? Um, oh, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> if I've had a couple of glasses of champagne, I say it's me drunk and not even think about it. <laughs> I, I, I have always been infused by having talent around me, seeing talent 
and it it, it just literally engages me mm. whether they're performers creators um you, you, like taking someone like Simon Kimmel a set designer who I absolutely is fantastic I got the opportunity to work with and and names like Bobby Warrens who is synonymous in every television entertainment show to get anything that you want that's talent that mm-hmm. is absolute talent and to surround yourself with that energizes me and yes. I think it gets it gets me going and I'm sure that this is a four hour freaking broadcast but <laughs> The thing, the thing about it is, is when, for so you think, when I look at these um, kids and I go all around the States, I see every single one personally. I've over, I've seen over 62,000 dancers in the 17 seasons. Wow. And um, so I, I'm the, I'm the, the, I'm the first one they see and I'm the last one when they leave the show. Mm-hmm. So I see them from beginning to end and they inspire me so much. And going back to having open eyes, open arms, open ears, open mind, and open heart engages. I do. Well, those of uh, you won't see it here, but when we did, so you think in the UK, we did it for two seasons. And if I'm honest, they didn't quite get the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't quite get it because of the success, the huge success of Strictly Come Dancing was such a template for them that they tried to put So You Think into that same template and it didn't work. We didn't have a template and don't have a template for So You Think. It's a creative energy. A choreographer will come to me and instead of me giving them a piece of music and an idea, they come literally with a blank piece of paper and I say, tell me what you want to do. And that's how we work it out. So it breathed. And Nigel and I, if I'm very honest, we found it very frustrating, as did Arlene, who was one of the judges, that we, the show was not given the opportunity to have the same impact and results as America. And they wanted the results because they saw what it was doing in America. But once you start to overproduce and contain and keep it, it will suffocate itself. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And I've seen that in other territories, other countries around the world where people overproduce it and they don't let it breathe. Mm. But I did do it in the UK as I do it in, in the US is every day when it's my two days in the studio and we only have one day. We're live. Don't forget. We're live, 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 live. Every morning at seven 30, I have all the dancers in on stage, freezing cold studio. And I do a half hour cardio warm up, including myself. I never let them see I'm sweating. <laughs> I never let them see I'm perspiring. I never let them see I'm nearly fainting. And as soon as I walk off the stage, I go around the back where there's a medic with an oxygen mask, a <laughs> bottle of water, a towel, and a masseur that rubs me down. And that's it. I break the from- I mean, I don't, I, I, it's one of those things whereby it's, uh, I, 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 I love the fact that you've mentioned that my energy and passion which it is. Mm. And, and, and and when I when I talk to networks now and when we talk about it, it's some people feel that it's frustration, but it's not. It is my passion and it is my I, I love it. I mm. love it. And this to me is one of the best jobs I think I've ever had in my entire life. I don't think it will it will ever nothing is they're all different, mm. but nothing will ever match what so you think has given me. Yes. Hands down. Yeah. Uh, do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is the the R word part of your vocabulary? Retirement. Um, I I I hope it's a word that I would choose to use. Mm-hmm. Should it happen, then somebody else tag me with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I to retire. 
it would be something that, as I said, I retired my dancing career when I felt that I had gone so far. And I retired my choreographic career when I felt I could no longer give what choreography needed. So I hope that that I hope that if that R word retirement um, uh, happens, it will be when I feel that I've done everything that I can towards it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it it is time. I hope to plant seeds in so many others that have come through my life. The younger people, the people that started on my teams as runners and APs that are now producing themselves. And yeah. I love the old saying, and I know people use it all the time, and it's slightly changed. And, and forgive me, I'm going to misquote, but uh, it, it's the saying is that there are those that plant the seeds of olives knowing they will never sit under their shade. Um, and if, if to be able to inspire, this sounds so big-headed, and forgive me, I, I don't mean this, but if, if like me, as I was inspired and I was given this motivation, this motivation to move forward to others, then I, I hope that's the case. I've got, in, I, and, 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 and I know we'll wind this up, but I did, I did get in, in trouble a lot of time over here because there is this thing called the American dream. We've all heard it, the American dream. And I sit there and I have 1,200 auditionees in a theater waiting to show me what they can do. And I say, hands up, all of you here that are here to follow your dreams. I will guarantee that 90, over 90% put their hands up. Yeah. And I said, well, let me just tell you, this is real. You are not going to wake up tomorrow being the winner of So You Think You Can Dance. You have to work for it. And dreams are not real. However, they are motivational, they are inspirational, and that's the be should be the drive. But you have to get there. These pa- these pavements are not covered in gold, and our and our industry is ruthless, relentless, and they are they don't take prisoners. And so I've got in trouble with that because the American dream is something they all strive for. But I dream, mm. I'm inspired yeah. and, and stuff. So the R word, um. I hope not. I hope not. Um, for I, hope a few not years. I hope not too. Um, because it, it's 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 it, it's some at some point it will have to come to all of us. But as I said, I hope that it's something that is that I decide to do. And yeah. I don't know where I'll be. Whether I'll be over here in um, LA or back home. I always say home because home is is the UK. I work and live here, but home is the UK. Um, And in fact, I am flying over next week because this year, um, we, uh, the show for the first time in its history has been put on hiatus because there's going to be some, I think there's union issue strikes. And I think they've network has to be very careful. They don't have to take shows off halfway through and we're a summer show. So um, sadly for us, it's the first time ever that the show has been hiatus. So it's given me the opportunity to go home in the summer, which I never do. So I'm going to go home and enjoy the coronation. I will um, sit and I'm going to sit and wallow and watch some UK TV and see what it is because I don't get the opportunity to see it here. Yeah. But if if the R word happened tomorrow, I will look back and with so many 
so many memories and and I'm sure that there are I mean there are bits that I, I thought I must tell you and I've, I've moved on and I haven't but there are so many bits and wonderful people I've met and opportunities and places I've been and seen as a dancer and as a choreographer and certainly as a producer yeah. that I consider myself incredibly fortunate and I could not have done it on my own I'm not saying I'm not part of the picture but I could not have done it on my own your career is you've used the word it is inspirational and i think that's the important thing about being a damn good producer and a choreographer i'm sure is that you've got to inspire the people you work with and that's exactly what you do and so thank I you i hope this hasn't sound so big-headed and egotistical that it's me 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 but um I, totally I, not and i'll tell you for why I, if i may, may interrupt you sorry i'll tell you why it's not it, basically you're just repeating what has happened in your life and you, you can't excuse that that's what happened these are the people you've met and this is the life you've led and these are the phenomenal achievements and i sound like i'm blowing smoke but i don't but i'm not i'm stating fact these are the phenomenal achievements that you've you've created in your lifetime it's your career and your life is breathtaking and it's an inspiration to everybody as as a as a pure example of dedication and damned hard work. Well, that's very kind of you. And, and you know, I, 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 I feel as if I don't deserve that. But then I've got gout, I've got gout and I don't deserve that either. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't think I'm alone in this industry. I don't think I'm alone in this industry for the achievements that so many of my peers, friends and colleagues have also achieved. And and it, it it's wonderful to see. I I get so incredibly moved and proud at so many people that I have grown up with, and uh, you know uh, of my peers and, and, and that have done so much amazing amazing work in so many different aspects of this industry. Not just a producer or a choreographer or dancer, but the other uh, the other areas. And 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 like you, I hope that you too will inspire those that can sit and write and move forward because. Um, it's uh, uh, another, uh, uh, I, I saw an interview, I saw an interview with Noel Coward and the, the, the interviewer said, so Noel, you are a writer, you are a singer, you are a performer, you are an actor and you are a playwright. What do you put it down to? And he said, talent. Um, and I think that if we are allowed to, if we are allowed to develop our talent and we're allowed to bring it forth, then so be it. There are too many people now who whose talent is restricted in this industry because of so many people that are threatened or don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You're quite right. Yeah. I'll put the cat amongst the pigeons, I'm sure. Well, I like the idea of that enormously. Jeff, I, it's, it's been an incredible time incredible week. with you. Incredible week. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you say this is the longest, this is the this is the longest interview ever I've had. This I have got to edit this for next week. No, it's not, not a word's going to be edited because for me, the time and, and for my listener, the time will have flown by because it's been brilliant. Thank you for your generous time. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I so appreciate it. And for someone like yourself who recognise, acknowledge and respect the industry for whatever part and whatever department we all work in, 
is also it's something that comes from your heart and, and i think that's brilliant wow we have been listening to the incredible indefatigable inexhaustible creative force force of nature that is mr jeff thacker thank you jeff so much oh it's been such a pleasure i'm now gonna have a drink <laughs>